Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Welcome our guest for this morning who deservedly I think is entitled to the title of uh, a veteran journalist, and I mean that in the best possible sense, and after after having interviewed the youth over the last two weeks, I now interview some wisdom. Welcome to Ed Herbst. Ed, are you with us? I'm with you. Thank you, Sora. Um, Great. Ed, um, you are probably really well known in the country for your journalism. I ask you just to start by giving a very brief resume of your journalistic career, where you started and how, where you ended up. I think I got a, an ideal start. I was I was employed as a photographer on the Natal Witness, which is the Peter Marisberg newspaper in 1962. Uh, sorry, 1968. I'm still reporting uh, now online. And then uh, after a year or so, they transferred me across to the reporting side, and I subsequently worked for the Natal Mercury uh, in and Daily News in its Peter Marisburg office. And then I joined the SABC in 1977, uh, which was uh, a year after the uh, the Soweto riots, uh, the, the youth riots, uh, and shortly after. Uh, um, uh, television began so that started a very fulfilling career for about 25 of the 28 years that I spent there and then uh, I was I was in the uh, uh, moved from I joined in Pretoria I then reported briefly on uh, the 1978 <clears throat> United Nations, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, elections in Namibia. Uh, then was moved to Cape Town, and I asked for early retirement in 2005 because by that time the ANC acolytes had total control of the. Uh, of the news office and life there simply became untenable. And then because I had that ability to back over several decades and link previous administration and the current administration, I started writing for websites like Politics Web and Daily Maverick and Rational Standard. And that's what I do now. I don't charge for what I write. I, 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 I don't, they don't pay me where I'm still reporting. Uh, just to mention to our listeners that you recently started writing for the Daily Friend and, uh, um, Ed's articles are really worth, uh, look, really worth looking out for. Ed, I just wanted to ask you if there was an aspect of your, in your early training that you think made the real difference to becoming a professional journalist. Yes, I would say so. I, I, I think starting on a small, uh, a small newspaper, uh, like the Natal Witness is is ideal. I mean, I started as a photographer, uh, and that gave me the opportunity to to accompany reporters on stories, to go to uh, to political stories, uh, to to cover uh, discussions in in the provincial administration, to go to court. So when they moved me across to uh, to um, writing. Uh, 
I already I was already familiar with the procedures. Now today you would start, you would go to what we didn't really have then to any great extent, which is the journalism schools at all the universities, and you would start there, and then you would move to a, 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 a small knock and drop or a small radio station, and. That's where you would cut your teeth. That's you would learn, where you would learn the ropes. And once you'd made a name for yourself, you would then move up to, to one of the bigger newspapers or to uh, a, a television station like ETV. So that's the progression. Um, and, and those, those, that sort of progression was not available to me back then. There weren't journalism schools in the 60s. There are now or all of the, all of the technicons and that sort of thing have them. One of the things that interests me is the fact that in the last few years there's been a lot of discussion about the, the decreasing quality of journalism in South Africa, um, and I wonder if you can comment comment on, a, on my comment, and that is that perhaps one of the problems might be that the the theoretical education at the journalism schools, and then the progression to newspapers is missing out that key sort of small-scale experience where you learn to do everything and, and you pressure to do things and you get exposed to issues that you may not get as a young reporter in a, in a large organization. My sense is from, from talking to colleagues and um, is, is, is that your, 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 your life has become unbearably pressured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when I was a court reporter... Uh, we, we had all the time in the world. The radio reporters would, they would cross to the radio reporters and they'd have to give a, a resume, but you had time at lunchtime to go and sit with your colleagues across the road from the Cape High Court and compare notes and that sort of thing. Now you're actually tweeting from within in the court and you're also expected to take photographs and all the rest of it. You, 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 the, the burden has become, uh, the technological burden has become enormous mm. and the pressures are, are, are too great and mm. there, there are just too many people out of work. Mm. So, uh, so the, the few that remain are being required to do more and more work and, and, and there simply isn't the time. I mean, the New York Times and papers like that can take two or three of their best reporters, put them in a room for two years and say, look at Donald Trump's tax reports. Nobody <laughs> else can do that. Right. I think nobody else would want to do that. Um, was there some, something special about sort of cub reporting being in doing the court beat? It had its own pressures in that you, 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 you had to – you had to be absolutely accurate. You couldn't mm-hmm. get a, a name wrong. I, I recall a reporter on the Natal witness being fired because he got a name wrong in a court report. But it did give you a very useful snapshot of, 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 of life uh, at, at the lower end of the scale of, of, in terms of poverty, in terms of criminality and all that sort of thing. So court reporting was a very vital part of, of, of my career. We were chatting yesterday, and it goes on to a completely different tack, but we were, we were chatting about your experiences both during the years of apartheid and since apartheid of, uh, based, of censorship, of your experiences of censorship in, in the media. Please recall the examples we discussed. It was worse under apartheid, right? It wasn't. My life at the SABC uh, during the apartheid era, speaking purely for myself, 
was idyllic. The political side was handled by Parliament. The only political stuff we did was once every four years when we when when we we covered the election. And during that time, sort of like of 22 of my 28-year career, I only experienced censorship twice. The first year was in 1977 when there was a very brief protest on the campus of the University of Pretoria. And I was a cameraman then, uh, and I filmed that, and I sent the film through to Johannesburg. Uh, that was in the 16-millimeter film camera days. And the message came back. Uh, fantastic f- footage, great action stuff. And that night, all the students gathered in the big hall because, you know, it was the start of television. Not everybody had television, and there was nothing. And the next day, the, the reporter from the Sunday Times phoned me and said, why wasn't your your footage aired? So I said, well, I can't, I can't respond to that. You've got to phone my bosses. And they phoned them, and the response was that there were technical issues. There was nothing. The film was great. And the reason I heard later was that the decision was taken at the top level of SABC News, but that this is where our National Party leaders come from, and we can't have them fighting with the police on the campus. I mean, heaven forbid, we're not going to show that. So that was the first element, of the first example of censorship. There was only one other right up until the time that the ANC took control of the Cape Town office of the of the SABC, and that involved the opera singer Mimi Kutza. She had a beach cottage. I picked the story up from the Argus. She had a beach cottage at Bloberg Strand, one story on a very big earth, and she applied to build a three-story mansion, which was turned down. She then used her influence, this was all in the Argus, to get uh, her plans passed and what had happened was that behind her, uh, a wealthy man who had a badly uh, mentally and physically handicapped son had bought this plot so that he could build his house so that the son could look out over the sea. And suddenly, looking onto the wall of, of Mimikwitz's house, and I went and did the story. I interviewed the man uh, and sent it up to Joburg and I phoned the Pretoria office and said, you've got to interview Mimi Kutzer. And her response was, ek is verbaas dat jy my bel, ek het uitdruklike instructies gegeer dat hierdie story glad nie gedek sal word nie. She was on the SABC board. And so the story was pulled at about 10 to 6, which left the, the editor with a huge problem. Um, and then, come 1992, Two, and the whole situation changed and they called for public hearings for the new SABC board. And to my horror, I saw that she'd put her name forward and I was absolutely outraged. I was incensed. And I thought, what can I do? And they had asked for submissions and I, I spent an absolutely sleepless night. I was, I was terrified of losing my job. And the next day I phoned them and I said, I want to object to Mimi Kutz's um, uh, uh, being appointed to the board, but I want to do so uh, without my name being known. And they said, you can't do that. She has to know that who the accusation comes from. And so I put my name on it and I sent it through. And she, uh, as, as a reporter later told me, when she was confronted with this, by the interviewing panel, she was completely thrown. And she said, but this is beating a hind horse, you know. <laughs> and uh, you, 
a couple of months later, I was walking towards the Weinberg court and somebody called my name and I turned around and it was a lawyer who I, I, I vaguely knew and he said, are you Ed Herbst? And I said, I am. And he said, I just want to thank you for your your submission on Mimi Kutzer because she should never have made the board and thanks to your submission, she didn't. And his name was Nathan Erasmus and he subsequently became a judge. And <laughs> then... You'll recall, you'll recall that from 2003 to 2006, the ANC had control of the Cape Town municipality. And I mean, it was, it was just wall to wall corruption, Big Bay 1 and 2, Jewelry City. And we were not allowed for three years. There was a complete radio and television blackout from the Cape Town office, now controlled by ANC acolytes of anything that reflected badly on, on, on the ANC. We were there to promote the ANC and to cover up their, 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 their corruption. And that's when I left. That's when I asked for, for and, and I was unemployed for a year. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the mayor of Cape Town was Norma Fakretu, wasn't it? That's right, yes. Yeah. And she, she, she had a... a she had a, a an awful reputation, and and uh, I think the the West uh, the Cape Town sort of s- skipped a, a bullet in in eventually her leaving because they got the DA. But one can only imagine the Cape Town would probably look much the rest like the rest of the big cities around uh, around South Africa. Well, that, um, uh, that that resonates with me if I can just chip in there yeah, because sure. I I left because of her or, or something that was related to her. Uh, she had a spokesperson, Blackman and Goro. When his Japanese dead now, uh, when his Japanese-born wife was abroad, the Daily Voice revealed that she was spending the night at his at his at his home, and he then put out uh, um, a blog post that uh, uh, blacks were uh, uh, coloured people were inferior to black people. And that if they didn't follow black uh, poly- uh, ideology, they would end up as drunks in the gutter. And there was complete outrage. And I, without telling the news editor, tracked him down and got a, a very cogent interview from him. And he told video people that that interview was not to be fed to Johannesburg. And that's when I just decided I, I had no job in press prospect. I would be unemployed, but I could no longer work there. And this was the sort of thing that we, we picked up. And I mean, you're looking, you're looking at the Snooki Zikalala era. You're looking at the Schlaudi Motsaneng era. Uh, it, it's been nightmarish ever since the ANC took control of the SABC. It's almost, I, I, I hate to say it because, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's not, there's not, not much good to say about uh, the apartheid era. Um, but the, the instances of censorship you cite are almost quaint um, compared to um, what what's essentially happened since in those eras that you that you spoke of. Um, in in that everything has has just exploded, and and to some extent, I think the uh, uh, the ANC must be a little bit disappointed that it hasn't muzzled the press because. The, what has evolved, and perhaps you can add to, is the quality of investigative journalism in this country. This era is the golden era of investigative reporting in, in South Africa. When I was reporting at the SABC, 
The biggest thing was the info scandal. What we come back to is the desire of, of, of political parties, governing parties, to control the mass media narrative. And there we, and I, I interviewed Eshel Rudy in 1977, and he was a very nervous man because the Rand Daily Mail was beginning to find out the ramifications of the info scandal, which involved to P.W. Butter's great distress, uh, John Forster moving money out of a defense force slush fund to Eshel Rudy to set up the citizen and, and buy overseas newspapers and all that sort of thing. That was huge. Um, but today, we, every single day in every little municipality, there is corruption. I'm not saying that. Cyril Ramaphosa said that. He said the mm. ANC is accused number one in the dock. So no matter where you work, your, the little knock and drop that you work on in a, in a small municipality or the small radio station, you are up to your eyeballs in corruption and, mm. and, and you, you, you have a field day. And that wasn't the case in the apartheid era. They came down strongly on their criminals. They went straight to jail. They were Calvinists. Mm. The worst thing you could do was to bring the, the, the national party into, dispute, into disrepute. I mean, at the moment, we've got all this this, this COVID-related uh, uh, corruption. This is a golden era. I mean, you've got uh, Jacques Poe's book. You've got um, uh, Gangster State. Uh, uh, you, you've, you've got the current Kusili Eskom papers coming mm. out on News 24. Mm. So from that point of view, it, it, it really is. Uh, the most wonderful opportunity for investigative journalism. You don't know where to start. Mm. Um, it, uh, I mean, it, it, it's also the sort of alternative media uh, organ. Uh, um, I would say papers like, but it's only partly papers like uh, Daily Maverick, who um, Mail and Guardian, who spawned Amabungani. The uh, uh, we've become solely dedicated to to this sort of reporting. But what's what's intriguing about the 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 info scandal is it was a kind of what would ultimately become almost a common or garden, but a big scandal for the for the country. Isher Rudy and John Forster saw their asses as a result of it. Ed, your comment on that, and your comment on perhaps the as close to the equivalent, and that was the support for the Gupta's media empire in the current era. Well, I, I as a what you've left out there is Connie Mulder. That that, oh, that yes, brought an right. end to, to to the two the two leading politicians. The the mm-hmm. one who was on his way out, who was about to retire, and Connie Mulder, who was the crown crown prince of, of of the National Party and was assumed to be his successor. Now I filmed right. John Forster leaving Tainhouse for the last time. Uh, Eshel Rudy was extradited from England. He was tried, he was sentenced to six years, and he won. So, so there were consequences. The beneficial side of that is that today we have um, uh, The Citizen, which is a, is a very, very uh, good newspaper, and, and, and it makes an excellent journalistic contribution. I, I come now to, 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 to the Guptas, and recently at, um, uh, at, at, at the Zondo Commission, uh, Gwedi Mantashi said, yes, we wanted the Guptas because we didn't have a press that, that supported us. Well, that, they, they were, they were, that, that was a three-pronged attack. The first was that they funded the Guptas. 
the second was that they in, in that uh, they made the insane from a from a um, uh, an investment point of view of buying the independent newspapers when print uh, media was dying. I'm talking about Iqbal Survey's second Jolo independent media. He didn't mm-hmm. mention that. And the third thing was the control of the SABC. Now, when the the, the, the National Party era, Vainant Haramsa, handed over the SABC, it was firmly in the black. It's now been bankrupted twice and needed like something like a total of 4 billion rand in, 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 in bailout. Getting back to the Guptas, I had a friend who, who worked at uh, Madupi on the accounting side, and they, he got a phone call to say, look, cut your budget by five or six million. We've just donated 140 million. Eskom, Eskom has donated 140 million to the Guptas. So the Guptas were part and parcel of our, of our, 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 our current uh, load shedding. And mm. there was a book, there was a book written about it, indentured behind the scenes at Gupta TV by Rajesh Sundaram. Kasatu oh, yes, said it was the worst employer in the whole country. Uh, so that was the three-pronged attack. We, 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 we sit, we, we sit with the, the horror story of Second Jolo Independent Media. The SABC is now retrenching staff. Uh, and, and the Guptas are no more. Whereas what we got from the info scandal was the citizen, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's quite a, it's, it's quite a terrifying thought. And uh, most terrifying, of course, is the fact that the, that money, le- money was spent on nefarious activities by state entities uh, who had no, no business in, in any normal society would have no business in spending money on on things like this, let alone uh, contracts that were that didn't meet the necessary criteria or and, and we've seen and we've seen plenty uh, on that scale. What just sort of to wrap up um, your sense of the value of the Zondo Commission? Huge, huge, colossal. Monstrous. Mm. I mean, it, it, it's it's a soap opera which has which has just riveted us. Mm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, every day there's a new revelation. I mean, from a media point of view, and here's the irony: is that Iqbal Survey has accused every other major news competitor of stratcom journalism and apartheid era approaches. And at the Zondo Commission, we heard that Arthur Fraser had slipped a 20 million rand backhander to the African News Agency, uh, which is, which is uh, Iqbal Servo's wire service. So from a media point of view, right there, we had something fascinating. I'm going to have to end our discussion there for, because of for time reasons, but I'd like to get you back because I know from the articles you've written for us, there are a range of subjects I can canvas with you um, and I think would be of great interest to our readers. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah.